All right, welcome to week two, and welcome to Rams All Access. My name is JB Long with Maurice Jones-Drew and DeMarco Farr. Team, how we doing? Phenomenal. Great. Feeling good. Because? Looking forward to week two. Yeah. Well, uh, why? Because you're 1-0. Yes. Well, well, not, yeah. But not only that you're 1-0, it's the way you became 1-0. Yeah. Granted, um, I feel like I was com- – you know, I, I feel like I was challenging my four-minute rules – Right when uh, I listened to the pod, the, the coaches. Oh, show. the end of game sequence. Yeah, yeah I, I was a little challenged. I was a little, ooh, that's aggressive. But you went out there and you methodically won a game against a very talented and good opponent. Uh, and you, it, it seemed like there was no, the game never really got away from the Rams. They were they 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 controlled the tempo. They controlled everything that whole game. The uh, clip that. Maurice is referencing there. Sean McVay did indeed want Jared Goff to cut it loose, hit Cooper Cup on that last offensive drive to get into Cowboys territory and hopefully ice that game at about the three-and-a-half-minute mark. DeMarco, any lingering thoughts or takeaways, good or bad, from that week one victory? Uh, I guess the OPI is the one that stands out the most at the end, Uh, the one that was called against Dallas where Jalen Ramsey kind of baited the officials into it. I mean, look, it's the NFL. It's going to happen both ways, but – uh, if he if that call didn't happen, that's a different ball game. This whole show is different this mm-hmm. week. I mean, you're in Greg Zerline territory. So. Same same thing though. If Jared Goff uh, gets a flag for hands to True. the face and doesn't throw that interception, you led me right to where I was yeah. going to go. So yeah, I mean, a lot of things could have changed, but uh, either way, you're coming out with a Week One victory and NFC victory. So it's it's a big deal. Hopefully, you'll get two this week. But you know, I, I guess without preseason, um, you know, Aaron Donald's up to speed. We saw that. He's throwing bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, other guys on defense stepped up. I'd like to see some other guys step up a little bit sooner than they did. But I guess some of the question mark areas, running back, linebacker, uh, going into week one versus Dallas, you were really concerned. And Malcolm Brown acquitted himself well. Micah Kaiser, I thought, was all over the place. Uh, Kendall Young was all over the place. So uh, I think there's some positives to take away. But, I mean, I wouldn't go ahead and say the Rams are going to go 16-0. and 0. No, I mean, no, this no. is going to be, you know, tough sledding from here on out. But getting the win over Dallas at home, opening up the new stadium was huge. I'll say this. Uh, Micah Kaiser set the tone and the tempo by the way he was tackling. It wasn't just tackle to the ground. He was There was some force being input mm-hmm. in there, one. Wait a second. He missed seven tackles, though. He, he did. I mean, but that's going to happen. I mean, that that is – tackling is the hardest thing to do in football, period. Right, and then you're asking me to tackle one of the best running backs yeah. in the game, like or whoever it might be. That that's going to be tough. But when he did, uh, there was a couple times where he hit, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, and he went straight down, or he came and laid the boom. And it's been more than a year since he yeah. tackled anybody. And, I get and so it. I, I and you, everybody's going to have tackling issues. No one's going to be perfect. When you watch across the league, guys are missing sacks because you're just not you, you're not going live on a quarterback in practice. You're not going live most of the time. At least none of the starters went live in training camp mm-hmm. this year. So. Uh, you're going to have those issues, but as they get going, that's fine. I, I just thought there was some rust on both sides of the ball in all three phases, but you start to see that rust wear off throughout the game. And I think that's what you're going to see going in the league is as, you know, I, and I've said this before, week one and week two, I'm not going to put too much weight on it. Uh, awesome the Rams won. They mm-hmm. won a talented uh, against a talented team, but three and four is when you're going to start to see the team separate themselves. Where are you on tackling, DeMarco? Because Corey Littleton missed five all of last season. All of 2019, your middle linebacker missed five tackles. Like, that was an insane performance. And now in an effort to replace them, I get with what Maurice is saying. Like, Zeke and Dak, like, that CD, Amari, like, that's a tough way to come out of the gates. But Philadelphia is no easier, and it's not like you practice tackling to the ground in week two. No. This week out in Thousand Oaks. But, I mean, that's 
I mean, that's like trying to tackle Marshawn, trying to tackle Maurice week one. That's tough. These guys are – Zeke Elliott is, is born to break tackles. That's just what he does. I think they'll get better as, you know, the season goes along. I think they'll be better this week because Philadelphia doesn't have a tackle breaker like Zeke yeah. Elliott. Not many people do. But I, I think the best part you can say is they were in the right place. They were where they needed to be. Now they didn't finish the play. So you didn't get preseason, but you just got it. You got live action versus Dallas. Mm-hmm. So – it should be easier from here to make tackles on running backs. I mean, there aren't that many guys that can run through arm tackles. Zeke Elliott running through arm tackles in September, he's going to be doing the same thing in December. That's just who he is and what he does. He's DeMarco Farr with Maurice Jones-Drew. I'm J.B. Long. This is Rams All Access. And coming up, we'll take a deep dive. Wentz, Goff, 1-2 and two overall in 2016. Who's had the better career to this point? Who would you rather have for the rest of their NFL career? Plus four down territory with the latest on a banged up Eagles group, but they do have some key pieces practicing this week and hopeful to make their 2020 debut. Here's offensively what I like most about week one and the way they won. Yeah, two of five in the red zone, left some points out there, were down at the half when they should have been up big. But it was clear to me that whatever they found in December, they bottled up and brought into the new year. And that's not to say they're going to go rip off 30, 32 points per game and that they're going to beat the brakes off of people like they did early in McVay's tenure. Who knows? That remains to be seen. But I think it was very clear the design, the intention, and the way they were able to execute it. And what I mean by that is depth of target for Jared, quick game, using that the perimeter, bubble screens, receiver screens as an extension of your running game, not asking your offensive line to do too much to protect too long, and then also committing to the running game in a way that it's, you know, Sean McVay has been inconsistent, let's just say, in committing to that running game. When you play a one-possession game throughout – opening week and you run it 40 times that to me says hey we're committed to being the hammer not the nail again this year and whether or not that works week to week in the long haul I think that bodes well for Jared and for this offense and for this team which I think has a chance to be a lead on defense I saw something years ago and it it kind of it kind of uh, makes sense now Mark Bolger stepped in for Kurt Warner and the offense took off, right? And Mm -hmm. some people tried to say that Mark Bolger was a better quarterback than Kurt Warner. I said, no, he's just healthier. He's just healthier than Kurt is. So he's letting the offense go. They're not being held back by one guy. I think you're seeing the same thing in the running game right now. I think you have healthier running backs than you did all last season. Mm -hmm. At least Todd's not here. So it's hard to go into a game expecting Todd to carry it 25 times and then he's out for half the game. And – how do you game plan around that? So everything kind of is on hold because of one guy. But Malcolm Brown, physical. He's a guy that will take the carries, run up in there. Cam Akers is young, healthy, ready to go. And Daryl Henderson is a guy that's ready and waiting. So I think you're healthier at tailback. It allows you to run the football to get the defense to collapse. That opens everything up for the passing game. So uh, I think it's it's less what San Francisco is trying to do, which is run, 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 and be successful with it. I think the Rams are going to try to run things, run the ball to open up things for Jared Goff in the passing game. I think that's what we saw versus Dallas. I love that game plan. As long as you're getting the defense to believe that you can run the football with success, everything will be open on the perimeter. Yeah, I truly believe the Rams are going a balance approach, and then that goes back to Sean McVay really doing the self-scouting last year, right, where you couldn't run the ball – Guys were banged up. It was just a lot going on. Not only was it Todd, the offensive line, you had Brandon Cooks in and out of the lineup. I mean, there was just so much going on through that situation where there's it's more consistent now, the pieces that you know. Like I know I have Malcolm Brown. I know I have Cam Akers. 
Daryl Henderson. I know our offensive line are going to be this. Even, in, even if we don't, these guys, we have young guys that played last year that can step in and go. And so they want to be balanced. It's not necessarily I want to throw the ball more. The, the, the toughest teams to stop are the teams that, like the Baltimore Ravens, right? You didn't know if they were running the ball mm-hmm. or if they were play-action pass, right? So you're going to, at the end of the day, like I'm going to go and stop this run right away. And that's what you saw with these linebackers. I mean, that's why guys are coming wide open. The, the run fake guys are, uh, you know, you're getting Cooper Cup out the backfield or going behind the line on the little fly, the slide route and Robert Woods. And these guys are popping wide open. And so that is a testament to being a balanced offense and everything looking the same. And what I liked about Malcolm's day, nothing too explosive in the running game. I think their longest run, like true running back handoff run, was 18 yards in week one, but it was consistent on early downs. They got 6.6 with Malcolm running the football on early downs, and then you look at what Sean's able to do off of that, the way he can stress a defense when you're in second and four or better. I mean, that's, that's a tough proposition for any defense. But here's what they put themselves now as we look ahead to the Philadelphia Eagles. A chance to go 2-0 going to Buffalo. 2-0 going to Buffalo versus 1-1, vastly different. And then you look at what it could do to your competition in the NFC. Philadelphia is in danger of starting 0-2. You already got the head-to-head against Dallas. That NFC East is upside down. Washington was the only team to win in that division <laughs> last week, right? Oh, right? So, I mean, obviously you want to win the West, punch your own ticket, etc. But if you get into this wild card, com- wild card comparison game, you gotta... yeah, you're, in a, you're, you're in a great spot. Yeah, NFC South... Other than the Saints, three losses. So th- this is your competition, and it's way too early to be shaping up, but you could see how you would be in a very, very favorable position with two wins over the NFC East and teams that you would figure, Dallas and Philly, to be at the top of that division contending for a playoff spot when all is said and done. Well, I, I will say this. The, your, probably your toughest opponent is going to be Dallas and Philly when you look at the rest of the NFC. Whoever wins the North is going to be you know that person. And yeah. we saw the Saints – Kind of handled the Bucks a little bit. Um, Atlanta, you know, they just didn't show up, and then obviously Carolina. So you're thinking the Bucks, you're thinking, and then Cowboys, Philly. Like that, that those are the three teams that you'll be fighting with if you don't win the division, right? So if you can go ahead and handle these two right away, you've already pretty much booked your ticket to the wild card if you can handle yeah. your business down the road. I think it's smart, especially when you start thinking about what the West is. Ooh. Didn't Arizona just beat San Fran? Yes, the Wild sir. West. Yeah, so this is going to be a mess. And they let Russ cook. Oh, boy. So the West is going to be tough, so you better take care of business outside of your division, too, especially in the NFC. Before yeah. we're done on this edition of Rams All Access, we will go around the NFC West. The 49ers in New York to take on the Jets. Washington at Arizona. The Cardinals looking to start 2-0. and And the Sunday night game, New England at Seattle. Also on the way, who needs to step up this week? Who needs to play better individually for the Rams as they go to week two? But around the corner, Sean McVay comments on Wentz and Goff. One and two overall in 2016. Who's been better so far? Who would you rather have for the rest of their career? That's where we're going next on Rams All Access, 710 ESPN. No, to answer your question, I don't pay attention. I mean, you're not naive fact that they were the one and two picks in the same draft class but jared's going against philly's defense carson's going against our defense and so um you know their success is completely independent of one another for how they can perform within their role uh but ultimately you're still trying to get it done and and lead your team to a victory so um you know i I think uh, i think those are fun narratives you know to talk about for you guys probably but it's not something that affects our you know our uh, thought process in the least bit Rams head coach Sean McVay on the matchup between Jared Goff, number one overall selection from 2016, and his counterpart in Philadelphia, Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson saying similar things that 
you know, either probably franchise would have been happy with uh, the number two pick that year. Both of them have worked out, which is pretty rare for quarterback picks going one-two. And then based on the systems that have kind of been built around Wentz and Goff, respectively, it's worked out best for both franchises, I think you would say. If you had to compare them to this juncture in their career, as we continue with Maurice Jones-Drew and DeMarco Farr, who's had the better of it as of now? And then I'll get into who would you want moving forward. Okay, so I, I guess I'll start. Um I think when you look at the individual stats, Wentz has probably had the better uh, year. But if you talk about quarterback in general and what the ultimate goal is when you're drafted number one, Jared Goff has done that. He's taken his team to the promised land. Now, people are going to say, well, Carson Wentz would have done it if he didn't get hurt. That is the issue. Availability. Jared Goff has been available for every game he's played in. He's taken some crazy hits, some different things, but he's been available. Carson Wentz has not, and and that is even though he has more yards and I want to say yards and touchdowns, fewer um, interceptions, fewer interceptions is his availability because the way he plays, he likes to hold onto the ball, tries to make always the big play. That that's that's going to become an issue as it did down the um the last couple years down the road for Philly. Uh, when you talk about Jared, he's gotten better every year. The system, we, we, the system plays to his strengths, um, and he was able to lead his team no matter what he did in the Super Bowl. Uh, he was able to lead his team to a Super Bowl, and that is the, uh, the ultimate goal for me. You know, it's funny, man. Looking at their numbers, uh, numbers-wise, Wentz has been better. More touchdown passes, fewer picks. I think he's got actually more wins. Then Goff has more wins than he does. But head-to-head, Wentz has beaten him twice but hasn't finished the game. And I think that's the thing that separates the two for me. And this goes back to five years, to when you were trying to evaluate which guy to take. And it's so funny. They said that from the outset, Wentz would be better, but he's going to put himself in harm's way and probably get himself hurt a few times. And that's happened. And five years down the road, Goff – will probably be a better quarterback because of that. So here we are in year five, and here we are again. They're about to match up in Philly. So I don't think it's over just yet, but numbers-wise, you got to give it to Carson Wentz. Um, but I think in the long run, from this point on, I, I think you might see Goff start to separate, especially if what happened with Carson Wentz week one continues to happen when he gets sacked eight times, when he holds on to the football way too long. He tries to be Philadelphia's version of, of – Ben Roethlisberger slapping people off him and whatnot. I mean, that's not going to work, especially not going to work this week against Aaron Donald in this defense. I mean, this could be eight sacks or more, um, and he'll probably get himself dinged up and miss more games. But uh, to this point, I'll say the numbers go to Wentz, but in the long run, I think it's – and I always thought this. It's going to be Jared Goff by the way he plays the game. Jared Goff will finish the game – clean most of the time mm-hmm. uh, on a grass game. His, his uniform will be absolutely clean, and that's the way you want it. Carson Wentz, no matter what he plays or how he plays, he's going to be the guy that gets himself dirty and gets himself hit. That's just how they do. So um, I, I think it's pretty much even. Numbers go to Wentz, but in the long run, I'll take Goff. It's funny how my answer to this question would have changed if you had asked, say, after the NFC Championship game, mm-hmm. um, at the outset of last season, uh, maybe going into December of last season. But then the way they both finished last year was pretty strong, actually. Mm-hmm. And Wentz getting his team to that division title and coming back this year, I think, would have been ahead by a nose. But now my answer is different after week one. And, and here's why. is because it seems to me that the combination of McVay and Goff, again, super small sample size, one game of 2020, have understood and embraced who they are and who they're going to be. Whereas the plan for Peterson and Wentz, I think, was super confusing last week. 
Like, it would not surprise me in the least, actually, if, if I were the Eagles, if I just borrowed the Rams' game plan from week one against the Cowboys and tried to use it against the Rams' defense here in week two. Because putting Wentz back there at seven and asking him to hold it and throw deep and take shots behind that offensive line makes no sense to me. Not leveraging his RPO talent right. and using his, his feet on the perimeter makes no sense to me. At the same time, I can understand why you're reticent to put him in your running game, given the fact that he's missed eight regular season games due to injury and essentially all of your postseason played at this point in his career. Well, I think, again, when you look at the Washington football team and where you attack them, it's the secondary. And it's not quick passes. You want to get those guys, they let guys behind them all the time. So I think that game plan was like, we're going to take shots, and even it if you knew, Even if you knew what you were up against with your offensive line well, and Chase working. Young and the, the, Kerrigan. The, the, it, was, it was working. What, yeah. hap- what happened was as guys started to fall, you have to you have to be able to do what we call in-game adjustments. No doubt. They didn't do that. Well, especially playing with the 17 nothing lead. Yeah, they. well, if, again, I'm conservative. Once I'm up 17 nothing, we're in four-minute mode. I'm just trying to get out of there at this point. Like, hey, I don't care if we don't have a running back. We're going to put one of these tight ends and, back there and hand the ball off to him. And down a tackle and a guard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would have definitely – even if we were healthy. You're up 17 nothing. There's no reason to try to score 45. This isn't college. We, we're just trying to stack wins. And so their game plan, and some coaches do this, whatever they practice, they feel most comfortable with. So if they didn't practice, you know, some pass plays or certain plays that may be, you know, in your playbook, they're not going to run those. And so – they didn't really make the best in-game adjustments. Where we see Sean McVay and Jared Goff make in-game adjustments between drives, we've seen them make it at halftime between quarters. They continue to like evolve throughout the course of the game. That is the difference. That is the difference between Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. That's the difference between the the Philadelphia Eagles and the Los Angeles Rams. If their offense and let's be again, when the Philadelphia Eagles play the Rams, they have a completely different scheme than we've ever seen. And that's, I guarantee mm-hmm. you that's what you're going to see. You mean their Aaron Donald plan? Their Aaron Donald plan. Quick game, double teams, running backs, everything. And they're going to, you know, RPOs. You're going to see that all over again. See, that scares me more right now than trying to get Deshaun Jackson over the top on oh. Jalen Ramsey. I mean, and remember, the times that they got in trouble when the the Eagles try to throw on the Rams when they try to throw the ball 15 yards or more. That's when, you know, that's when Tlaib got a pick. Mm-hmm. Other guys are jumping routes. If you're doing the, the slant-flat combination or those, you're going to – destroy the Rams that way with the, with the RPO. But if you try to get greedy, that's where the Rams take advantage. Can I cop to something? Something I, I think I've done like a 180 on. Because we've spent a lot of time on this show right here defending Jared Goff as, uh, against the system quarterback label, right? At this juncture in time, I think Jared Goff is a quintessential system quarterback. And if he embraces that with Sean McVay at his side... I think they'll average nine and a half, ten wins a year, and, and he'll be the, the greatest quarterback in Rams history when all is said and done. Montana well, was what? a system yeah. quarterback. <laughs> Tom Brady's a system quarterback. <laughs> like, like, there's not like people. I think people fail to realize like you you'll see Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. That's not a system quarterback. He can do. Yeah. Tom Brady was a system quarterback. Guess you know who else was a system quarterback? Peyton Manning was a system quarterback. Those guys, they didn't have, they don't Except have the arms. System. Yeah, but it was, but it's a system, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> he took that system with him to, to, to yeah. Denver and won with it. So it's like it's a yeah. system guy. But this when I stuff when I see that like Jared, for instance, had the lowest rate of negatively graded pass plays in Week One, and and second on that list is Russell Wilson. I'm like, that's the company you want to be with, oh, and, yeah. and especially with the faith that I have in the defensive personnel in this scheme, special teams if they can get right. Like, I'm okay. I'm okay with just riding Sean McVay's game plan, and then and you got to pick your moments, right? Like the yeah. throw he makes to Van Jefferson, yeah, you got to rise up and make and make those plays no in, every, in every game. But 
up until that point, like to go off of you know the the play action and go nine of thirteen or whatever it was and mistake free, to be rolling outside the pocket as much as he is left and right as good as he is at that. Well, that's the one concern I do have with the system and. Coming out of Dallas, all I kept hearing from the Dallas side was, man, Sean McVay can scheme. He can scheme. He can scheme. He can scheme it up. And he's right. I mean, you really caught him with those play actions. I mean, they didn't know whether to wind their watch or go blind. Um, But now it's on film. And Jim Schwartz is going to have a good look at it. He's going to teach his guys what to look for and what not to look for. And some of those boots are going to be hard to come by. So at some point, Philly is going to get Jared Goff and this offense in a place where Dallas could not in a third and long situation yeah. where you have to drop back to seven and throw the football, and then we'll see. That's when the that's when I'm looking for Jared Groff's improvement. Uh, when it all starts to break down, when it's all crashing on top of you, what do you do with what where can you go with the football? What do you do with the football? So uh, when when you take Sean McVay out of it, when it when it becomes just a game about the guys on the field versus the other defense that's when I want to see Jared Goff's improvement. I agree, but as a not a, a counter, but a corollary to that, I also like what's still in Sean McVay's quiver in terms of like now that he has put some tape out there, now that he's let you see, okay, here's who we think we're going to be with one game against the Cowboys. Look at all that I've still got off of it. Like it yeah. didn't change. Like that. That's the other part. Like it's not like they did anything that they didn't do the last two or three years. They literally ran the same stuff, a little more screens. But this is what I always tell people: I could care less if you're a if you're a system quarterback. If you're a you know a, a gunslinger, what mm-hmm. win? At the end of the day, we this is a this is a, a business about winning. I don't care about when you start diving into oh he only does. That's when you're starting to get too picky. Does he win? And to this point with Sean McVay, Jared Goff wins. That's all that matters. Right. If Carson Wentz pulls it down and beats my defense for a scramble first down, I'll clap and say, "Come on, guys, keep him in the pocket." If Jared Goff runs off a ten yard run, I'm firing everybody. <laughs> I am. I'm going to fire everybody. You're all off the field. Come on off. That just can't happen. Really. I mean, look, Carson Wentz is a bigger run threat than Jared Goff will ever be, but I don't think that's going to separate them two from wins and losses. I think Jared Goff can win more games or be just as successful not moving, not having to run, by getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Read and diagnosing, run the play, get the ball out, and let your playmakers make plays. Especially when you have the run-after-catch talent that you have on this roster and with this coaching staff, right? Like – I mean, this is what the offense has been predicated on for years now, and and you know, yes, or last week it was Cooper Cup got the contract extension on Saturday, and Robert Woods goes bananas on yeah. Sunday, right? And <laughs> and I think there's still a lot left there for Tyler Higby. Gerald Everett had a drop. We've yet to see him get going. No big breaks really in the running game. I I I'd continue to believe that what they put out there on Sunday is a great starting point. One because it gives defenses a lot to think about. It proves that they are committed to the run more this year than they were last year. And then, again, the way that Sean marries the passing Mm -hmm. concepts to the running game, uh, there's a lot left on the bone, I guess, Mm -hmm. moving forward here in week two. All right, coming up, four down territory. The Eagles are super banged up, but is there reason for optimism? We'll ask Tim McManus, who covers them closely for ESPN's NFL Nation. And still to come, matchups to watch, including Ertz and Goddard against the defensive personnel for Brandon Staley. This is why they loaded up with so many options in their secondary for a test like this against a tight end heavy group. With Maurice Jones-Drew, DeMarco Farr, I'm J.B. Long. Stay with us. This is Rams All Access. 
All right, week two, fast approaching. The Rams are off to Philadelphia for the first of three games in four weeks in the Eastern time zone in the early window. Tim McManus covers the Eagles for ESPN's NFL Nation and is nice enough to give us some of his time on this Thursday. Tim, it sounds like right tackle Lane Johnson and running back Miles Sanders will make their season debut on Sunday. What else from the injury report stands out to you and what might make the most difference on Sunday for the Eagles? Well, certainly the return of those two guys is huge. I mean, Carson Wentz with eight sacks and 15 quarterback hits week one against Washington. You need some reinforcements along that front. Lane Johnson is as good as they come along the right side. I do expect him and Sanders to, to be back in the fold. And then the other person to look at is Derek Barnett, the defensive end, who is the projected starter opposite of Brandon Graham. He missed the opener with an ankle injury, but he also has been a full participant at practice this week. And so if they can generate some pass rush and get stable along the offensive front, that's going to help them quite a bit. How about Graham specifically? Brandon Graham, I believe, will at least there's optimism, I should say, that he'll be in the lineup. But with concussions, of course, you can never say anything with 100% certainty. It's always fluid, uh, but there's some optimism there. Tim McManus is with us from ESPN's NFL Nation, and you basically covered two games in Week 1, didn't you? 17 nothing, and then 27-0. Which Eagles team do you think is the real Eagles team? Uh, uh, yeah, tale of two halves is the way that Doug Peterson has been describing it, and I think the answer is probably both. Uh, a lot of that has to do uh, with the fact that the quarterback, uh, you know, is kind of a roller coaster of a, of a QB right now, where you see the highs. Uh, you see where he can make the electric plays that people have become so familiar with over the last four years. But there's also these dips that often are as a, a result of him trying to play a little bit of hero ball, uh, where he holds onto the ball too long. He's trying to he's trying to go for the jugular, and sometimes that gets him in trouble. And that really had a ripple effect uh, over the the second half of that game, really, where the offense was was turning the ball over getting negative plays, giving short field to Washington, and really keeping them in it. And so in order for them to be closer to the team that we saw in the first half, the quarterback needs to stabilize and play at a consistently high level that he's obviously capable of. That being said, Tim, after being sacked a career-high eight times, here comes Aaron Donald. What did the Eagles quarterback have to say about what he's up against this weekend in the Rams' defense? I asked him about Aaron Donald and if he's watched any of those viral videos of him just crushing the Dallas offensive line, uh, he, and his response was, he is a monster, and everybody in the league knows it. Uh, the one positive thing from an Eagles perspective is that Donald hasn't had a lot of success against this team. You know, he's zero sacks in three games. The Rams are 0-3 in those games, only five quarterback hits. And part of the, the success was able to double-team him, at least in the, the 2018 outing, it was Brandon Brooks and Jason Kelsey doing a nice number on him, or Stefan Wisniewski when he was rushing from the other side. Uh, but Nate Herbig looks to be the right tackle and not Brandon Brooks for this game. And so Donald clearly uh, has a, a matchup advantage there. He always has a matchup advantage, but clearly one there, and uh, that's going to be a worry spot for the Eagles. Final question on four-down territory for Tim McManus, who covers the Eagles, and this is from my very limited, narrow lens. I tend to see Eagles fans bristle more than any other fan base whenever they see Sean McVay praise, especially if he's ever ranked above Doug Peterson in any coaching standings. McVay's yet to beat Philly. I get it. Peterson's got a ring. Is that a real sentiment you've observed from the fan base you cover? Absolutely. 
<laughs> yes, I think that is, that is true. There's, uh, you know, why is why is he getting uh, lifted up high here, and uh, and why is he consistently ranked over a Super Bowl winning head coach? And so, yes, I feel like there is a, a general sentiment. Well, there's you know, there's a level of respect for McVay, no question, and 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 he's earned it. That uh, you know, Philly is, uh, is is tough to begin with, and and so they're going they're going to give their praise reluctantly, and that certainly is the case with Sean McVay. Tim, thanks again for your time and uh, space out on Sunday. Go pick a section and enjoy the legroom, okay? All right, will do. Thanks for having me. All right, let's bring in Maurice Jones-Drew and DeMarco Farr. Once again, JB, long with you here on Rams All Access. Question is, who needs to step up on the Rams roster? After seeing one week of this team offensively, defensively, and on special teams, who needs to take the biggest step forward to beat the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 2? We'll let uh, DeMarco Farr start first here. Oh, okay. Uh, Then I'll go with Joseph Noteboom, left guard. Um, We were talking, and you said Whitworth graded out the best tackle or best offensive lineman? Best PFF grade for Whitworth in a decade. In a decade. And you said Blythe and Corbett and everyone else kind of... Great. Granted, they didn't ask a whole lot of their left tackle yeah, yeah. in terms of the drop-back passing game against the Cowboys, but still, yeah. I-, I think it speaks to the, the the procedure he had on his what his ankle this offseason, like the first real like surgery he's had yeah. in his career. He seems spry. He well, seems good for whatever a they asked of their left tackle. They probably asked of their left guard. So he, if he graded out the best in ten years, then what happened to you? I see. So Joseph Noteboom needs to improve, and it's glaring on film. I mean, some of the run plays that did not work. Uh, he couldn't get off the tackle. I mean. He just wasn't strong enough to separate from the interior lineman going to the second level, so those linebackers had a direct line to the football, and boom, uh, no run game. I thought he was great in in pass protection. One-on-one, I thought he was great there. He was good there, but in run, he needs to be a little bit stronger, so he has to improve. And this is going to sound funny, but dare I say, Aaron Donald. I know he had a lot of wow plays. He's been throwing a lot of people. He was the world's strongest man. Um, One sack. Yeah. And one tackle for loss against the team that was running the ball at you. So I'd like to see some improvement from the best player in the game. Let me just jump in there real yeah. quick. Uh, Aaron did not have a career sack against the Cowboys until last week. Philadelphia is the last NFC team he's yet to sack in his career. I think that should change, especially hmm. with the line they're going to trot out against him. So, I mean, I'd just like to see him a little bit to be a little bit more active. One tackle for loss, maybe. Maybe one a quarter <laughs> against right. Philadelphia. So, again, the yeah. question is who needs to step up from week one to week two, which is typically when teams and individuals make their biggest leaps, right. quantum leaps, Maurice? Uh, I'm going to go with Taylor Rapp. And, and, and yes. it's not because he didn't play or anything. It's, they're going to ask him to cover Ertz or Goddard. Don't you think? They have to. And in this situation, you're going to have to step up and play huge. You're coming. You didn't really do any of training camp, so your play is going to. You're going to get tested right out the gates. If you look at what the Philadelphia Eagles did against the Washington Football Team, they literally threw to the tight ends the whole time. So make sure that you're ready and prepared to go because you're going to have to. It may not be you have to improve. You're going to be challenged right away. So you need to be prepared and ready to go. That's who they're going to lean on. Again, you have to think think of the matchups play. Am I going to throw at Jalen Ramsey? Probably not. So whoever he's covering, we're just going to let him go. That means Troy Hill's going to get some work. Uh, Darrell Williams to get some work. And then whoever's covering those tight ends are going to get some work. So I'm leaning on the tight ends being their best matchup right now. Mm-hmm. Taylor Rapp, if you're out there covering those guys, you are going to get some work. See, I had the same thought for a couple of reasons. Yes, the tight end. Like This is why I think Brandon Staley developed the portfolio of back-end talent and versatility that he did. Terrell Burgess yes. kind of kept in reserve, didn't play on defense. Taylor Rapp? 
had his job taken basically, held in reserve, only played maybe like 15 snaps on defense. But this is the week, kind of like we talk about with San Francisco, where you need to present some different matchups, and you you better be able to be versatile and flexible in that back end. And then the other thing is tackling. Hmm. Taylor Rapp is a sure tackler. I mean, you've observed this from mm-hmm. field level to Marco so many times. When he hits you, you go down. Yeah. And coming off a week like last week and having lost your best tackler in Corey Littleton, I, it, it's hard for me to see a path forward without Taylor Rapp being a, a significant portion of this defense. In the run game, definitely. I mean, he shows up in the run game. He's great at those tackles. The, where he puts his helmet, I mean, it's, it's almost textbook. You can teach off the way he does it. But in the passing game, like you said, I mean – they're going to find ways to get those tight ends open. They're going to find ways to get those guys in one-on-one matchups and then go after you. So whoever is on those tight ends, yes. it, it could be Taylor Rapp, could be Fuller, could be J.J. the third. It, it could be, be Micah Kaiser. It could, yeah. Yeah. Kenny Anybody Young. who's matched up with those tight ends is going to have, like you said, a full day trying to keep those guys contained. And still have to tackle in the running game. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to add just real quickly two names, Gerald Everett. Had the early drop, uh, now a back injury that's caused him to miss some practice time for the Rams to be that 12 or even 13 personnel package that they Mm -hmm. deployed against the Cowboys. He needs to be up. He needs to be right. He needs to be threatening. And then Micah Kaiser, we already touched on. Look, hadn't played you know, a game at middle linebacker as a pro. Uh, he has a reputation for being a tackler. He and Luke Keekley are the only two ACC players to ever lead that league in tackling three seasons in a row. So that's kind of his pedigree. That's what they drafted him to do. Um, and then next to him, I'm intrigued by Kenny Young too. And we talk about in coverage and crossing routes and tight ends and stuff. Look, he's faster than Corey Littleton. He's faster than, than Micah actually when you look at his combine numbers. So I can see why – Uh, They like his position flexibility in a matchup like this where he might run with some guys. He's athletic. I think more it's his instinct. And you're just hoping that he he finds that, right? Like to be able to diagnose play-action pass and not be just a step too late. To be able to diagnose where they're running and get to your gap right away, not be a step too late. Because he has the athletic ability. And to me, I think he has the tools to do it watching him in college. It's just – he sometimes he's a step too late on certain things where that may be the inch that the quarterback needs to get the ball into the tight end. If you're on it, you get a pick, you go to the house. No excuse, but until, what, two weeks ago, he was a backup middle linebacker. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, well, a spe- and a special teams player. Trust yourself. Trust your instincts, well, I think man. That's I, what he it is. He knows where you need to go. It's just like he doesn't want to make a mistake. Well, just forget the mistake. Just go play ball, man. It, it's, it's, yeah. Instincts are more about overthinking. Yeah, right. If, if, if I, it, Oh, I'm supposed to do this. this. No, no, no. Just run, bro. Like yeah, you, you already made the call. Now you just react and run. If you could do, if you react and run, and and when they see ball, get ball, you'll be fine. One of the matchup I want to highlight here, uh, and then we'll get to the interior line against the defensive tackles in our final segment. But Cooper Cup against Nickel Roby Coleman, mm. and uh, <laughs> Nickel this week is doing like the anti Eric Weddle, where he's spilling all the beans. Is he? Oh, all the beans. Oh, yeah. as he should. Double right, agent. Right. Eric. Double agent. Was, Eric was the exception, not the rule. Nah, he shouldn't. He should have spilled. You gotta let it go. But. Cooper Cup, you I think you said earlier in the show, maybe underutilized, under-targeted in week one, though he did have that big catch over the middle uh, in crunch time. I'm curious to see how many targets he gets against Nickel. Who the, who the Rams yeah. let walk, they, basically. He, they can't be crazy enough to think that he could stop Cooper Cup one-on-one in the slot. Well, Nickel will be up for the test. We know that from covering they, him. And he had great seasons in Los Angeles, yeah. yes. right? But like, I think they made a calculated gamble and saying we think Troy can give us much of the same bring Darius up and play well, outside think, and that's that, what, that's an area we can cut a corner I think it was we yeah, more of a money situation like listen we we got it we got this other guy over here that we got to go ahead and, and cash him outside as we, we like to call it in the neighborhood um yeah. so we're gonna we're gonna 
take your whatever you're making, yeah. and we're going to use that to pay Jalen Ramsey, and then we'll rock with everyone else. Speaking of that guy, is this a situation where you might see him play more than just lockdown corner? Oh, yeah. I think there's, there'll become times where he'll go into safety. <laughs> go <and> take Ertz. <laughs> Ertz. You'll take Ertz or Goddard. Like, this is when you're going to start to see the, the – well, we talked about this offseason and, and throughout training camp, the matchup style of this defense. Like, uh-oh, it's third and such and such. The, the Eagles like to go here. Jalen, you cover this guy. We'll lock everyone else up outside. Final segment of Rams All Access around the corner. We'll go around the NFC West. Could the Rams be atop of it before the dust settles this weekend? Plus, the running back stable for Sean McVay. What about Akers' debut? Is there still a role for Daryl Henderson in this offense? We'll finish up with those thoughts as we continue on ESPN 710. All right, the NFC West looks like the best division in football once again. The Cardinals rising up and taking down the 49ers, one of the surprises of week one. With DeMarco Farr and Maurice Jones-Drew, I'm J.B. Long. Uh, we are unfortunately not off to Philadelphia this week. We're going to be right here in the comfort of the studio broadcasting off a monitor. That'll be weird, huh, guys? I've done it before. Yeah. What? I got a plane ticket. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say. Hey. Enjoy it. I I was not planning to call you out, but somebody went to Thousand Oaks on Monday for the Coach McVay show. Oh, who? Who was that? (laughs) Dang, Maurice. What are you doing? (laughs) Told you, man. They was here in the studio. We get a call like 5 o'clock. DeMarco's like, hey, someone let me in the gate. We're like, what gate? <laughs> oh, no. Where do I park? L.A. Live. What do you mean L.A. Live? Oh, I'm in Thousand Oaks. No. <laughs> it all worked out just fine. Yeah, man. It was fun. Good times with Sean McVay on Monday. You can join us every Monday at 6 o'clock for that one. This is Rams All Access, though. And uh, in the NFC West, let's start with those Cardinals. Why not? They play host to the Washington football team. Look, I, don't, I didn't know whether to be impressed with Washington or just disappointed in Philadelphia watching the, the tape of that one. I think I was mostly just disappointed with Philadelphia. I think – Haskins and Washington offensively, meh. It's it's not the offense that, that that's going to lead them. It's going to be that the defensive line, that front seven. I want to say they have five first rounders there, and you can tell. Yeah, I mean, you add Chase Young to that mix. You have Montez Sweat who shows up in rush situations. Baller. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, one piece made the other four guys, the other four first rounders, get going, and it's just like wow. Like, so I just don't know if they have enough though, because Kyler Murray, my goodness, like. Uh, You're believing, I can tell. Nick Bosa was obliterating their left tackle. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was Humphreys. He was just whooping them. And Kyler was making a miss, getting the ball out quick, everything. And that is what scares me. Because not only is he a threat with his arm, and as much as I hated that they, they let Rosen go for Kyler, kudos to them. Because Kyler Murray may be one of the best quarterbacks to come out in a long time with his athletic ability. He doesn't get hit either. So I can tell. You're picking the Cardinals to go 2-0. and Yes, you look down the schedule, they got the Lions at home next, at Carolina, at the Jets. They could be I, I mean, mean four and one is a real possibility for the Arizona I don't, Cardinals. I don't unless they, they're facing Seattle or San Fran. The point is they've got a fourth place schedule and a contending roster. No I, I think that's what we're looking at with Arizona in twenty twenty. I, I think Hopkins makes a big difference, especially yes. on first down. I mean, there's just a guy out there that you just can't cover and that just that helps them run the football through the air and it helps set up Kyler Murray to do what he does best, just play ball. They put Larry who are you gonna put on Larry Fitzgerald, your third corner? Like he's not gonna go to work on that guy? I mean he he was old as he is, he's still good and catches the ball like Adding Hopkins opened up everything for them. Everything. And now it's just like, what are you going to do with this team? Yeah, defensively, not so bad. Yeah. How about coming out of San Francisco? We heard all training camp, the defense is ahead of the offense. The defense is giving this offense some real problems. Garoppolo struggling against this defense. Well, 
20 points, losing from ahead in week one at home. I know there's no real home field advantage right now in the National Football League. but Still got to travel. So what's your level of concern for Kyle Shanahan and, and the 49ers as they go to New York to play the Jets? I'm not really concerned about them in that game. My concern is what happened? Why did you stop running the ball? I mean, they were running it down their throat in the first quarter, and it seemed like in the second half they went to try to throw the ball a little bit, get Jimmy in rhythm, and it just didn't work out. That, that's, the Cardinals, when you look at their team, they are built to go against people that want to throw the ball. They have Their linebackers are all slim, fast guys. Their D-line are mostly pass rushers mm-hmm. except for Reader. Um, and then the DBs are all small, quick dudes like – I am trying to run at them consistently. I feel like the Niners got away from their game plan, especially with no receivers. Like, what are you What are you doing? So, I, I think you go into New York, they're going to try to run the ball to get back on track. Kittle's already got a knee. Yeah, got to get back on track. Sherman, too. Sherman banged up, too. So, we'll see. We've seen the Super Bowl hangover, even though we'd like to poo-poo it. We saw him, we <laughs> saw him last year. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, here's the thing. Bill Belichick says that Russell Wilson is the greatest to ever do it at quarterback, which I'm not sure if – that's, that's disrespectful. <laughs> you had you had Tom Brady. Don't do that. I, I'm overstating it a little bit, but it does bring into focus for me the fact that Russell Wilson has never received an MVP vote. Yeah. And look what he went and did in, in Atlanta week one. Same old Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. What did I hear this? I heard this from Peter King. It's just how you have to vote in the NFL. You can only vote for one guy. Yeah. And they want to ha- kind of have it weighted. So maybe Russell Wilson would have gotten votes by by now, but you're only allowed to vote for one person. That's just the way it goes. But, I mean, look, every time you face this dude, I mean, do you feel comfortable? No matter how the Seahawks are playing, good, bad, or indifferent, whenever he takes the field, Ooh. you're nervous. No lead is safe. <laughs> you know Nothing. what I mean? If they have the lead, you're probably not getting it back. I mean, he's just he's he's got the antidote to whatever you have defensively. So as long as he's up there in Seattle with Pete Carroll, to me, they're always going to be around the top or at least the favored to win the division. And, and let's say this. The, re- is the reason he hasn't won MVP is because, like, Lamar Jackson threw for this much and rushed for that much. Well, and, that's, and that's, I agree with Marco's point. Like, like, when you're voting – you're either voting for a quarterback, which is usually pretty clear to see who the best quarterback was, right. or you're voting against the grain and you're taking like a running back or an no. Aaron Donald or someone like that. Yeah, and his even as good as Russell Wilson is, he's never had the best statistical year in football as a quarterback. But like you said, for some reason, Pete Carroll has decided to let him cook, and that is the most scariest thing ever because their whole mantra has been, we'll win the game in the fourth quarter. You don't win it in the first, second, or third. You win it in the fourth. Well, from what I'm hearing, Russell was like, "We need to win this thing now, from, and, like ASAP." <laughs> and they're letting him; they're letting it go. Which, again, we've called multiple games of him just running around making plays. Like, I think that is what makes it so. It's not the Jamal Adams trade that scares me. Although, if the Jets wanted three first-round picks right now, Seattle might give him three. No question, because he's playing lights out. But Man. they let Russell Wilson cook, and that is whoo. Uh, hopefully he can, you know, keep that going the whole season. It just because when they've done it before, he tailed off a little bit. and They had to go back yeah. to running the ball. So you, you will see fan. how it goes. I hope he has a great fourteen game season. No question. Yeah. <laughs> just fourteen. Well, I was just about to say. Now that we've gassed him up, the Patriots are going to walk into CenturyLink and beat no, him in front of nobody, even, right? Not, no, you're not buying Cam no. Newton and the Patriots. Uh, listen, it's not about I, I, people think CenturyLink is. It's about the fans. It's not that to me. When I played up there, it was the travel. The travel it, that is the hardest place to travel to. Mm. To get to Seattle from anywhere, from here, from San Fran, it's it's just a tough. It's just different than everywhere else you're going to play. It's not the northeast cold. It's not the hot. It's just a different type of weather up there. You know mm-hmm. this. I mean, being, yeah. it's just different. And and that atmosphere because it may rain, 
it may be sunny outside, and then it just starts pouring, and your quarterback has to be able to throw a wet ball and then get hot again. Like it's, it's just ridiculous. Three minutes to go. Let's fast finish here with a couple of lingering items as the Rams get set to travel three times in the next four weeks, Eastern time zone, early window. That's where Sean McVay has been impeccable in his seasons with the Rams so far. Uh, but I want to go guard to guard. Because I, I think that's where this game is won, right? Like, can Aaron Donald destroy whatever is left of the interior of the Philadelphia Eagles? And then similarly, can Noteboom step up? Can uh, Austin Blythe give you something different than John Sullivan was able to do against mm-hmm. Fletcher Cox? Is Austin Corbett the answer at right guard? Because like, the defensive tackles, to me, are the strength of the Philadelphia defense still. Uh, it, I guess the answer is yeah, no and no. Um, yeah, no, whatever Philly's trotting out there, they've got no shot to stop Aaron. They really don't. Uh, especially, I don't care if they're starters or backups. Just from the way they played and the way they're what they're asked to do, you're not stopping Aaron. Uh, but conversely, on the other side with Fletcher Cox, you'd have to give him the nod as well. Uh, the guy is just too big, too strong, too mean, too whatever. He he throws body just like Aaron. So. You're going to have to come up with a game plan both sides for those guys specifically to keep them from wrecking your offense because both can and both will. Well, I, I think, again, when you talk about uh, the Rams' offensive line, it's not only Fletcher Cox anymore, it's, it's Malik Jackson as well. Oh, yeah. So somebody's going to be singled up. And I, it's hard to say this, but going through the this, this schedule, this may be the toughest challenge for those three guys. Because you're there's not a reason see, Sean's 0-2 against yeah, them. Yeah, you're not going to see these two big dudes like bowling through mm-hmm. guys like that. So – down in order, distance, down yes, distance, in order to win, in order to win, and then I always I love when coaches did this. In order to win, these guys have to win their matchup. In order for the Rams win, Aaron Donald has to win his matchup, uh, and Michael Brockers and Sebastian Joseph Day they have to win their matchup against those three. And then your three interior guys have to win. You have to win that matchup. You can't let them destroy the game. If you let them let them destroy, you'll be in third and long, and that's what we don't want to see, Jared. Last thing, real quick: any change to the running back touches, the running back distributions, or was that just the way you want to calibrate it against the Cowboys? No, no, you don't keep change it. The same. it. You keep yeah. it going until until Acres d- earns the right to be. The what are you going to say? Great job, Malcolm. Now here's less carries. Yeah, no, you're no. Not gonna do that. <laughs> but it's not lost on me that camp started. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Which is which is only a box score item. <laughs> right. But like do you do you drop Malcolm out there first next week or do you continue to let Stay, Cam chip away the and then bring Okay. Keep it the way it is. Don't mess yeah. with a good thing. That was fun, guys. Thank you very much. Rams have a chance to go with two and O against the Philadelphia Eagles. This has been Rams All Access on ESPN seven ten.